Good morning and welcome to Let's Talk Wyoming. I'm Mark Hamilton, your host, and today we'll take a look at our weather. We'll talk about that primary we just got out of. We'll talk about gas rationing in 1945. And finally, we'll talk about Amelia Earhart. Thanks for hopping aboard today and I hope you enjoy the show. Taking a look at Wyoming weather, it's been back to hot this week. But you know, out there in the mornings, it's starting to cool down a little bit. And you can tell the days are getting a little bit shorter, getting dark a little earlier at night. It, you know, falls is right around the corner. Here we are in the middle of August and Labor Day weekend is a, just around the corner. And we'll be starting in on our fall activities. So right now the forecasts are for continuing warmer weather. Again, we're cooling off a little bit at night, I guess, we always could use a little bit more rain. It's amazing in some of these parts of the country. I know in the Four Corners region, they've been getting rain. I know Arizona has been getting a lot of rain. Nevada, all those areas are getting rain. But again, they do need the moisture down there. So right now in the state of Wyoming, everything is looking pretty good. And I think we're going to make it through summer and on to winter and whatever it has in store for us. And from weather, we want to take a look at happenings in the in this date in history on august 15th 1945 it was the end of the war world war ii and gas rationing one day after president harry truman announced world war ii was over gasoline rationing ended in america food rationing had begun in early 1942 with rubber and gasoline added in december by the office of price administration most civilian drivers received a windshield sticker with a ration coupon for gasoline limiting them to four gallons a week. A ration book B sticker allowed business owners up to eight gallons a week. According to the National World War II Museum, a C sticker was for people with professional occupation, an M sticker for motorcycles, a T for truck drivers, and a 35 mile per hour speed limit was established for the duration of the war. By the end of 1945, sugar remained the only commodity still being rationed. How would your life change if suddenly you had to have a limit on the amount of gasoline you have? It would be a tough go for us here in the state of Wyoming. You definitely wouldn't go very far from home. Taking a look at political happenings in the state of Wyoming. Yes, we are done with our primary election. I think we're all kind of over it now. It was quite a lead up to Tuesday, but as you know, Liz Cheney got taken to the woodshed by Harriet Hageman. Harriet won handily in that race. I was really surprised by the margin of victory. And also in our governor's race, Mark Gordon won handily also. He uh, defeated Brett Bayan. I think Brent had a outstanding campaign. He got across the state, and, and hats off to him. He put a lot of effort into that uh campaign. I think he's somebody that we might see again in four years. He should make another run at that governor's position. Also in the Secretary of State race, which was a rather interesting race, Chuck Gray came out on top of that. And another surprise, Megan Degenfelder won the Superintendent of Public Instruction race. And you know, in a strange note, if you listen to our podcast last week, we talked to Thomas Kelly. He had dropped out of the race and had endorsed Brian Schroeder. 
He received 10,857 votes, and Schroeder lost by 3,555 votes to Deckenfelder. Now we're on to November, and the Republicans who won will most likely win the general election. And just in my opinion, but I think most Wyomingites are happy it's over, and we can go back to business as usual here in our state of Wyoming. Article, wyohistory.org by Lori Van Pelt. And it's titled, Earhart Once Piloted Weird Windmill Ship Across Wyoming. Most people associate Amelia Earhart with aviation. Worldwide fame and her mysterious disappearance in 1937 during an attempt to fly around the world. Viewer may realize that the record-setting pilot flew in an experimental aircraft across Wyoming and made plans for a vacation home in the mountains above Matitsi, Wyoming. The Kansas native, with a penchant for first-time things and a love of shining adventure, as she called it, flew an auto gyro across the country in June 1931, stopping in Cheyenne, Laramie, Parco, which is present St. Clair, Rock Springs, and Leroy, Wyoming, which is west of Fort Bridger. Earhart wanted to set a transcontinental record in the awkward-looking craft, which resembled a fixed-wing propeller plane with an engine on the front, but was equipped also with four long rotor blades that spun at 100 revolutions per minute, much slower than the 400 revolutions per minute of a modern light helicopter above the open cockpit. The 52-gallon fuel capacity of the rotorcraft, dubbed the Flying Windmill by the press, made frequent stops necessary. Amelia made time to visit with local dignitaries and give flight demonstrations. She charmed the crowds who greeted her on the ground. The Laramie Republic Boomerang front-page report described her as a petite, tallisle-haired sky goddess in a weird windmill ship who greeted a crowd of Popeye spectators, numbering several hundred. While she had flown over previously, this 20-minute stop was the first time Earhart had actually visited Laramie. Earhart, who was born in Atchison, Kansas, on July 24, 1897, first gained fame when she rode as a passenger in a 1928 across the Atlantic Ocean in the Friendship, a Fokker trim motor piloted by Wilmer Stoltz. Mechanic Lou Slim Gordon also participated in the 20-hour, 49-minute flight, the brainchild of Amy Guest of Philadelphia, who hoped to promote good relations between the United States and Britain. Her family dissuaded her from going on the flight. Guest had asked New York publisher and promoter George Palmer Putman to find someone else to replace her. Earhart was a social worker in Boston at the time, but she loved flying and had been taking flight lessons for several years. She was vice president of the Boston chapter of the National Aeronautic Association. On May 15, 1923, she received her pilot's license from the International Aviation Organization to which the American National Aeronautic Association belonged. Earhart was the 16th woman in the world to receive the license. She had owned a Kenner Airster but sold the plane in 1924 because of reoccurring sinus problems that made it difficult for her to fly. She bought a canary-colored Kissel car automobile, which she named Yellow Peril, and made a 7,000-mile cross-country trek with her mother, Amy Otis Earhart, visiting several national parks en route. In 1928, despite the lack of experience in a trimotor and with only 500 hours of flight time logged, Amelia Earhart became the first woman to cross the ocean in an airplane. Her good manners and her striking resemblance to pilot Charles A. Lindbergh, who had made a successful solo flight across the sea May 20, 1927, 
likely led to her being chosen to write on the friendship. She was called Lady Lindy, and the recognition was her only reiteration for the flight. Payments she received for writing newspaper articles and for other advertising activities were donated to help finance the flight. At the time Putman met Earhart, he was married to Dorothy Pining. Putman and Earhart became friends, and their relationship grew even closer after the friendship flight. Putman and his first wife divorced after 20 years of marriage. He married Amelia Earhart in a simple ceremony at his mother's home in Newark, Connecticut, on February 7, 1931. On that day, Amelia presented him with a frank, rather business-like letter outlining her wishes that the marriage not be confining for either of them. If they found they weren't happy after a year, then she wanted the marriage to end. But in June 1931, as Earhart flew the Autogyro from coast to coast, the couple appeared to be pleased with each other. In Laramie, she told reporters, that she telephoned her husband every night. Earhart referred to the autogyro as the answer to an aviator's prayer, although other pilots disagreed with that assessment, and accidents were common. Spanish mathematician Juan de la Severa invented the rotocraft in the early 1920s, and his American partner, Harold Pitcairn, who had begun eastern air transport in 1926 and who was a developer of male-wing bioplanes, marketed the autogyro. The aircraft was equipped with an engine to get it started, but once aloft, air pressure kept the rotor blades spinning. The rotors allowed the craft to make short takeoffs and landings, somewhat similar to those of a helicopter. Putman had ordered an autogyro for Amelia, who had set a woman's autogyro altitude record of 18,415 feet in a company model on April 8, 1931. But he canceled the order when he learned that the Beechnut Packing Company's rotorcraft was available for promotional purposes. Earhart flew the PC-2, sponsored by Beechnut, to promote its chewing gum. Another autogyro manufactured a few months later that same year and sponsored by Champion Spark Plug Company, carried a factory price of $15,000, which would be around $235,000 today. Putman arranged for Earhart's transcontinental tour in the Beechnut craft. She took a single lesson on December 30th from the manufacturer's test pilot, James G. Ray, in Willow Grove, Pennsylvania. When she and her mechanic, Eddie Van Devot, departed from Newark, New Jersey, in late May for her transcontinental jaunt, Putman and his son David handed out chewing gum to onlookers. According to the schedule of the trip posted on the website of the Lincoln Highway National Museum and Archives, Earhart arrived in Cheyenne on June 2, 1931, late in the afternoon. She apparently stayed overnight and departed a few minutes after 6 a.m. the next day for Denver, which took about an hour and a half of flight time. The Denver Post reported thousands watched her. The newspaper owner and publisher, Frederick G. Bonfils, greeted her at the airport. This was her first visit to Denver, and she stopped for breakfast at the Brown Palace Hotel and then returned to the airfield to give demonstrations. She returned to Cheyenne about 4.30 p.m. that day, according to a report in the Wyoming State Tribune and Cheyenne State Leader, which estimated fully half of the population of the city had gone to the airport during Earhart's time there. She departed Cheyenne at about 9 a.m. on June 4th, made the half-hour flight to Laramie, and after a brief stop there, went on to Parco, arriving about 11.30 a.m. and flying on to Rock Springs, where the gathered throng numbered about 2,000 people. The Rock Springs Rocket reported she had lunch at the local Lions Club, then flew to Leroy near Fort Bridger to refuel before her flight across the Wasatch Mountains to Salt Lake City. Earhart arrived in Oakland, California on June 6, and the crowd there was so large 
that it broke the barricades. However, she had not set the record she hoped for. She had wanted to be the first to cross the country in the autogyro. Instead, pilot Johnny Miller had won the honor. Amelia continued her tour, returning east. On June 12, 1931, she crashed the autogyro in Abilene, Texas, but she had managed to aim the aircraft away from the onlookers and no one was hurt. A replacement craft was sent. Although the Aeronautic Board of the Department of Commerce issued a formal reprimand citing Earhart for pilot carelessness, an official of the National Aeronautic Administration, an organization for which Earhart served as vice president, interceded and she was not grounded. Earhart said the crash was caused because the winds stilled beneath her. On the tour, she stopped in 76 towns during three weeks of travel. She flew an average speed of 80 miles an hour, about five hours daily, often landing 10 times a day. She became the first pilot to fly an autogyro round trip across the United States. She later made two different cross-country tours in the autogyro. In 1926, George Putman invited Carl M. Durand to travel with his expedition to Greenland. Durand had guided Putman on a pack trip in Yellowstone National Park a few years earlier, and Duran later acquired the Double D Ranch in the rugged Absorca Range of northwestern Wyoming, southwest of Matitsi in Park County. Duran recalled in a memoir that Putman wanted to make Amelia Earhart the world's leading woman pilot. On May 20, 1932, the fifth anniversary of Lindbergh's historical flight, and a year after her transcontinental autogyro tour, Earhart flew solo across the Atlantic Ocean in a single-engine Lockheed Vega, becoming the first woman to do so and finally earning her Lady Lindy title. In July, she became the first woman pilot to fly solo across the transcontinental United States from Los Angeles to Newark. She earned numerous accolades for these flights and many other record-setting aviation adventures during her lifetime. She was also eventually awarded the American Distinguished Flying Cross. In 1934, Earhart and Putman stayed at the Double D, a dude ranch owned by Carl and Vera Durand. The Duran's two sons, Richard and Jim, were toddlers, but they had fond recollections of Earhart. Richard called her a very generous person, and he treasures a bamboo fishing pole and a twenty-two caliber rifle that she sent to them. Tires for Carl Duran's truck were also prized gifts during those Depression-era years. Carl Duran wrote that during their 1934 visit, Earhart and Putman filed a mining claim and commissioned him to build a small log cabin for them near the Wood River and at the base of Mount Sniffner, about a mile from the old mining town of Kerwin. Jim Duran remembers that his mother told him that Earhart didn't like the limelight much. Richard kept correspondence between his father and George Putman with instructions on how the vacation cabin should be built. Earhart wanted to fly the world at its waistline, something no other pilot had done. In 1935, she had served as a counselor to female students at Purdue University in Indiana. Her world flight was to be funded by donations to Purdue passed on to the Earhart to establish the Purdue Flying Laboratory and to help further the progress of women in aviation. Before embarking on the 1937 flight along the equator, Earhart sent two coats to Carl Durand, a long leather flight jacket and a buffalo coat that had been given to her by cowboy actor William S. Hart. Durand later gave the coats to Buffalo Bill Center for the West in Cody, Wyoming, where they are now kept. During her first world flight attempt in 1937, Earhart flew west from California and then crashed on takeoff from Hawaii, escaping injury but damaging her plane. Repairs to the Lockheed Electra 
cause lengthy delays, which made an alternative route and reversal of the direction of the flight necessary because of the changing seasonal weather patterns. She raised additional funds through promotional activities. On her second attempt, Earhart departed from Miami on June 1, 1937, and successfully logged 22,000 miles with stops in Brazil, West Africa, India, and Australia. On July 2nd, she and her navigator, Fred Noonan, departed from New Guinea to make the 2,556-mile flight across open water to Howland Island, a U.S. possession near the equator in the Central Pacific. They never made it to Atoll. She had reported their position via radio at 8.44 a.m. that day. U.S. Coast Guard's Atasca, stationed near Howland Island, picked up her signals but were unable to contact her. President Franklin Roosevelt authorized a search of a quarter of a million square miles of the Pacific Ocean, the largest land and sea search ever undertaken, and thought to have cost about $4 million. That effort was abandoned on July 18, 1937, but George Putman kept trying to find out what happened to his wife. He completed Earhart's book, Last Flight, to help pay for his efforts. Work on the Wobbing Cabin stopped after Earhart's disappearance. On January 5, 1939, Amelia Earhart was officially declared deceased. Putman remarried twice after Earhart's death. He died in 1950. Amelia Earhart's fame continues in contemporary times. Two women recreated her flights, once in 1967 and one in 1997. Another female pilot in 2001 recreated one of Earhart's earlier cross-country flights in an Avro avian biplane. Independent searchers still spend millions of dollars combing the Pacific trying to discover what happened to Earhart, Noonan, and the Lockheed Electra. One organization, the International Group for Historical Aircraft Recovery, has focused its efforts on the island of Nicomora, formerly Gardner Island, about 400 miles south of Howland Island. A substantial donor to the International Group for Historical Aircraft Recovery, a Riverside, Wyoming resident, Timothy Mellon, the chairman and majority stockholder of the Pan Am Systems and the son of philanthropist Paul Mellon, sued the group, asserting that the team that actually found Earhart's Electra in 2010 but did not release that information to the public because they wanted fundraising efforts for their future expeditions to continue. A judge dismissed the lawsuit in 2013. In Earhart's hometown of Atchison, Kansas, an annual festival is held in late July in honor of her birthday and to celebrate her accomplishments. In Wyoming, the Matitsi Museum sponsors a trek to the old mining town of Kerwin each August, which includes a hike to the cabin site that Putman and Earhart chose before she disappeared. A rather interesting person in history, Amelia Earhart, and her ties to the state of Wyoming. Thanks everyone for joining us today, and we hope you enjoyed our show. As per the Code of the West, we ride for the brand, and we ride for Wyoming here at Let's Talk Wyoming, your everything Wyoming podcast.